This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Troy Simcock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It certainly is. Hope you're having a great Saturday so far, no matter where you are in South Australia. And you can be part of our Gardening Talk Back program for the next hour by calling one 891 John Lamb is in the hot seat with his uh, experience and expertise and handy hints as we head towards Christmas. Morning, John. Good morning, Troy, and good morning, gardeners. Yes, a great weekend coming up too for cleaning up the garden just before Christmas. And, of course, you may be thinking about Christmas gifts. We'll continue our discussions on Christmas this morning and we'll take a look at uh, wow plants shortly with Jason Scroop, one of our uh, large uh, uh, wholesalers of uh, and growers of, of plants in South Australia. And then uh, later in the program, we're going to talk to Trevor Nottle, philosophy uh, person and a, a garden writer, but he's going to talk about collecting plants and what you would give to a plant collector, or if you'd like to start a collection, maybe. Trevor will give you some inspiration. And remember, John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. <laughs> Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Troy Sincock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Jason Scrooper has probably the biggest plant nursery in South Australia and he specialises in wow plants. It's amazing when you go there. There are literally thousands of plants and they're all under shade cloth and all automatically watered. It's a great place. The nice thing about uh, Jason Scrooper is he trials his plants, the new plants, before they actually get to the market. And so he has really good information about uh, how to grow a particular wow plant. And it's wow plants we want to talk to you about, uh, Jason. Good morning. Morning, John and Troy. Good morning to all your listeners. How are you going, right? Right. I know you've got dozens of different ones, but we're going to have to restrict you to four. What's going to be top of the list? Yeah, look, I think for gifts, that's what we start with today, but leading into Christmas, I think um, begonias are uh, something that's really come back and the breeding in begonias has been fantastic over the last few years. And there's many, many different types of begonias. I know one we really like and got in my flower box at home is the Begonia Mega Series, which is like a bedding begonia. People might remember the old bedding begonia, but on steroids. (laughs) It comes up to about 50 or 60 centimetres and it will just throw out millions and millions of flowers over the course of the full 12 months. It's a fantastic plant. Yeah, you mentioned uh, 12 months and that's uh, I'm glad that you've chosen begonias as top of the list because I put begonias as top of the list for people who've got shady courtyard gardens and apart from the mega big begonia, there are lots of other ones. So keep going. Yeah, well, the other ones we've chosen are, are, are probably just or even more spectacular, but are the tuberous-type begonias, and we grow one variety called Non-Stop, and my favourite is one called Non-Stop, uh, a mocha white, which has a really dark foliage with large, pure white, rose-type flowers, and the uh, tuberous begonias will flower pretty much for about Christmas, so mine are in flower now, and they'll flower right through until it gets cold in sort of late May, into June where they'll start to die down back into a tuber. We keep them nice and dry over the winter and then wait for the new shoots in spring and away they go again. But these are absolutely showstoppers, the begonia tuberous. Tuberous ones are certainly spectacular, but they can be a little bit uh, uh, temperamental. What's the key to keeping them alive or growing? 
I find them relatively easy, John. I mean, through the summertime, you must keep them shaded from the hot summer sun. They don't like the hot summer sun at all. Yeah. Um, but other than that, just a regular fertiliser, liquid fertiliser is good for them, and they should give you a really good show for the next six months. And then it's critical when they start to die off, just let them die off naturally. So leading into winter, you'll find they'll turn their toes and some people might think, oh, that's fine, I'm throwing that in the bin. But no, just let them die down naturally and keep them very dry in winter. Maybe over the course of the three or four months of winter, you might just very occasionally water them and wait for the signs of the new shoots in spring and then start your fertilising program again. And if you can do that, they're actually relatively easy to grow. How suitable are begonias for taking indoors? Look, I've, as I said, my hanging baskets here, I have them in plastic hanging baskets, so I can actually take them and use them as table decorations and Christmas time and uh, when we have people over. So for short periods of a day or two, absolutely no problems at all. They'll just be spectacular. Okay, so there's begonias Number one on the, the Jason's group list. Uh, from there, where do we go? Well, I'm keeping it nice and easy. The spelling will be easy, unlike Hades' choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have to spell begonia, so... Uh... No, dahlias are the next one. So uh, many of your keen gardeners may have grown dahlias in the past, big, tall, cut flower varieties that you need to stake. Well, the breeding has bred them right down in the compact plants now. Most of them grow only growing around about 50 to 60 centimetres, but still have the very large, formal, spectacular flowers. And my particular favourite at the moment is what one called Dahlia Elite Rose Beauty, which is a stunning bicolour pink. The flowers are about 15 centimetres across it in the nursery at the moment, but they hold very, very well for about two weeks and they don't need to be staked. So they're actually a good uh, garden plant now and they're just spectacular. Okay, you mentioned uh, staking, and people have got visions of the old-fashioned dahlias, and incidentally, dahlias have an H in them too. <laughs> but uh, uh, their suitability to containers, particularly the newer types that you're talking about, the Elite Rose Beauty, uh, is it a, a container plant or a garden plant or both? No, absolutely, and uh, similar to a, a begonia, they'll flower right through the summertime and perfect for containers because... In the winter, they will also die down to a tuber and they will also require to be kept a little bit dry through the winter time. So for containers, they're absolutely perfect. And the great thing about them now is that they're low maintenance, but you can also pick the flowers and some of the new varieties will last for up to two weeks as a picked flower as well. So with that one, you get many happy returns. <laughs> okay, absolutely. and another one? Well, the next one I thought I'd throw in there on you, John, is Alstromeria. Uh-oh. Um, uh-oh. <laughs> so we're getting a bit tougher. But the reason I threw that one in is a fantastic gift. And with the late season this year, um, they're looking fantastic leading into Christmas. And I've just been out in my garden this morning. I've got one called Indian Summer Alstromeria. And they are just fantastic as pick flowers. So if you want to pick flowers out of your garden and have them in the vase for up to three weeks, the different types of Alstromerias are just perfect for that. They're they really quite, in, quite incredible, aren't they? They just keep on flowering and flowering and flowering. Absolutely. Uh, again, the breeding on those has extended the flowering season. And I said they're perfect for picking. So, you know, if you're a person who likes to go out and when people come over at Christmas time and pick some flowers out of the garden, Alstromerias will always have blooms there ready to pick. So I think they're an excellent choice, not only for a gift, 
but for Christmas colour and bringing cut flowers inside of your house. Many people have got shady gardens and uh, a plant that I've found and fallen in love with and starting to collect are impatience, not just the ordinary old bedding uh, bedding impatience, but they're super-duper wow impatience. Tell us about these. Yeah, yeah. well, impatience are off the market for many years. There was a few growing issues with them for many years, so they sort of fell out of favour. But again, with breeding, um, they've bred a lot of diseases out of them, and the new ones are fantastically strong and healthy. So... A couple of my favourites are of the series called Benita, which have small double bloom, perfectly formed double, <coughs> excuse me, uh, double blooms, uh, and the New Guinea impatience, which are fantastic through the summertime with very, very bright colours. All right, so begonia uh, impatience are there, um, and unlike perhaps the begonias and the dahlias, uh, they die down. Can you keep them from one year to the next, or do we perhaps uh, have to take cuttings so you get them through? Yeah, I think for most people, impatience are more than likely um, annual plants in South Australia. The cold tends to get them, although they are better, and if you've got the right position where they do stay a little bit warm in the wintertime, they will hang around. But generally speaking, they'll be annuals more than likely. But you will get many, many months of colour. I talk to the plant nurseries often, and I tend to uh, tilt at windmills. And one I tilt at you often, uh, Jason, is when all the new plants come in. In the past, they've always been sun lovers, yet people want (laughs) shady plants. Uh, Are we seeing more shady plants coming through? Absolutely. We were actually only at trials last week, so a lot of the new breeding all gets sent into Melbourne once a year, and we're able to go over and see what's on display. And a lot of the push for breeding is towards uh, more plants that are suitable for shadier gardens. As gardens get smaller and the cover gets larger, um, absolutely, there's more more breeding into to uh, to. Shady plants. Well, sure. once you've trialled them in your little trial garden, I look forward to talking to you and uh, we can spread the good news. But thank you for your contributions this morning and Merry Christmas, Jason Scroop. Merry Christmas to you, John. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. It's Jason Scroop. Thank you for your calls and your texts this morning. You can be part of the program right now by uh, getting on the phone, 1300 uh, There's plenty of space available for you to speak to John to get some handy hints and tips as we head into the, the Christmas period, and we have some more experts on the way later on this hour. I also have two more uh, Gardening Australia magazines to give away before 10 o'clock when we go to the cricket. So uh, stay by the telephone if you'd like one of those, maybe an early Christmas present for you. Um, but next we have Norm from Brighton. Uh, how's your peace, Lily, Norm? It's not, it's not going so good. It's, it's, the uh, flowers are no longer white. They've gone green. Aha. Uh-huh. That's just because they're getting old. Oh, okay. I presume that they came out white to start with. Oh, yes. Yeah. They flowered profusely, and then uh, uh, so, suddenly, about a couple of months ago, they, they, instead of having white flowers, we've got they green flowers. They turned green. Yeah, no, that's just age. But uh, congratulations. People have got uh, peace lilies, and they get lots of leaves, and they cry because they never get any flowers. What are you doing to get flowers? You've got plenty of good light by the sound of it. Yes, yeah. Well, we actually have three of them, and one in, the one in particular that's gone green has been flowering profusely, but the other two, for some reason or other, as you say, they're not flowering. Oh, OK. They, yeah. they, are, they, are, they are smaller plants than the one that flowers very well, but... Uh, 
All right. The secret with uh, peace lilies is to keep them in good light, good bright light, without getting any exposure to full sun. And uh, I think that you'll find that those just uh, the flowers that have been there, they've just been there for quite some time, and just uh, as they fade, they go green before they disappear. Yeah. Is there anything I can do to stop stop them? Well, they they seem to be green green to start with now. They don't come out white at all. They just come green all the time. They already open that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a bit of a worry. I'm not too sure what could be going on there. I think uh, the important thing is to, uh, when you're fertilising, use a fertiliser that's pretty high in potash. Uh, buy a plant, uh, a fertiliser specifically for house plants. It could be that uh, there's something just going wrong in in terms of nutrition, and uh, they the flowers are coming out and they're thinking, well, we're going to go green because we're old. Uh, you just need to uh, get a bit more vigour into them, but not overstimulate them. So don't use a, a strong nitrogen fertiliser, something that's got uh, more. Uh, so if you look on the side of the pack, it'll have uh, nitrogen probably about 10 and then phosphorus down around about 2. And you want the potash, the, the K at the end, you want that up around about 10 or 12 if you can get it. That, that's more or less what we haven't been using. We've been using a uh, orchid fertiliser, which is, comes out about those. I think yeah, that's all right. Okay, well, that should be ideal. Just don't overdo it, though. Uh, if it, uh, it, more is not better <laughs> where fertilisers are concerned with houseplants. Thanks for your call, Norm. Imagine if we went green as we got older, John. That wouldn't be great. I'd go grey. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, Steve from Tusmore, you're growing snow peas. How's that happening for you? Well, um, I'd like to be growing snow peas, but it's not working very well at all. Oh. Um, I've tried two crops now, and they get going. The first lot went ballistic. They were about six feet high, but then they started to brown off uh, from lower down, and that just went the length of the plant, and in the end I felt compelled to pull them out. I've got a new run of seedlings on the side, and they're doing exactly the same thing. Now, the only thing I can think of is that I've planted them in beds where last year I had tomatoes. Oh, no, I don't think that's the problem. Um, did the leaves go powdery at all, white powder on them, or did they just... Yeah, to... eventually, yeah. That, I thought mildew. Okay. I, I did, I, you know, it struck me as odd that the plant, it, it looked like it was drying out. And then this, as you say, a powdery sort of um, matter started to develop, but... And I thought perhaps powdery mildew, but anyway. No. Well, powdery mildew would be the first thing. You, the leaves would be green and they would get powdery white material on them and then the leaves would go brown in that sequence. Well, it's kind of the other way around. If it's the other way around, then it's not powdery mildew. It's more likely to be a bacterial problem. Uh, bacterial wilt, I think, is probably the problem there. Uh, we need to blame the season. It's been uh, a season without a lot of sunlight, and it's the sunlight that's very, very important for peas and beans and uh, legumes and things like that. And also it's been very, very showery, and so you're getting these humid conditions within the canopy of the peas, and they succumb, first of all, or usually to uh, powdery mildew, and uh, in your situation I think it's a bacterial wilt. What I'd suggest is with the new lot... Uh, that uh, you uh, spray them as soon uh, probably this weekend would be a good idea and spray them probably with mancozeb or mancozeb yeah, plus would be even better it's got uh, the mancozeb uh, the chemical in there and the plus is sulfur and both of those are very very effective on fungicides and bacterias and i think 
uh, get them on early and then maybe if you've had problems in the past, about two weeks after you put on the first spray, repeat the application. Uh, uh, just read the directions. You'll find with Mancozeb, uh, the withholding period is probably four or maybe seven days. But uh, depending on the concentration, you need to make sure you read the directions and follow the directions. Steve, thanks for your call. ABC Talkback Gardening with John Lamb. Uh, we're here right across the state. So no matter where you are in South Australia, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Poor Rosemary, John. Uh, she lives in Dulwich. I don't think her plum tree is looking too good. Is that right? Oh, yes. Good morning. That's correct. It's, um, it's, it's been the most wonderful prune plum tree. I've forgotten the name. but um, And born beautiful loads of prunes each year. Um, I noticed a couple of years ago there were some bracket fungi, which usually grows on dead wood. But this year we had wet weather and then a blasting hot day and that killed the new leaves. Um, they, we went through the same cycle again and, um, and another set of leaves came out, but fewer. And now they've been blasted by hot weather and we're not getting anything now. Before the leaves drop, what happens? Do they curl up or do they go brown around the edges? or they just... No, they're not dropping. They're just losing colour and going dried they're still on the tree okay so the, the dried leaves okay well again you've got uh, uh, a fungal or a bacterial problem um, we go back to spring when the, the flowers were opening that's when a lot of the fungal and bacterial problems start they get into the plant and uh, as the flowers open up they become established and then depending on the temperatures and in particular rainfall uh, if it's those kind of favourable conditions they just keep on building up and building up until they get to the stage where uh, uh, the leaves are coming out from the new buds and uh, they get plastered with fungal disease or bacterial problems uh, uh, very very quickly um, I would be trying to spray the tree um, this weekend if you can, maybe not tomorrow. Oh, 30 degrees is still okay. Um, yeah, spray uh, spray the tree with a, a Manka Zeb Plus is, is very, very good at this particular time. And I think uh, make sure that in autumn you give the tree a very thorough spraying with, at this stage, copper. Go to copper for the autumn spray, and uh, I think if you uh, put that on, uh, that will help prevent the carryover of the disease from this season to next. Rosemary, thank you for your call. Keith, how can we help you? Um, yeah, I've got um, corn just about to send the flowers out, but something's shredding the leaves right at that point, and they're just dying away, uh, going brown and pale and... Uh, yeah, really weird. So you've got sweet corn and it's the leaves going... Uh, did they go yellow yeah. before they started to go streaky or...? Yeah, they do. And they just just right where the flowers would be normally coming out, right down in that part of the plant. Um, yeah, well, goodness gracious. Uh, they like there's something shredding the leaves, like it's leaving, you know, just the... Are they, are they eating, actually eating it? Well, I cannot tell. I guess something must be eating it. But, when, um, when you say shredding, to me, that's sort of you know, somebody getting like a piece of paper and, and ripping it up. Is is it that effect? Or well, it's got. It's if you look at the leaf, it's got sort of. It's got the, the main little um, sort of harder part of the leaf, and the softer part of the leaf has all been eaten, and just leaving the the um, you know whatever the 
harder part is. Oh, yeah. okay, right. So when you say shredded, it's been chomped up. Yeah. Um, I put my money on rats. Really? Yeah. Um, you'll find that they are sneaky little characters. And they are in most gardens. Uh, people think, oh, I don't have rats, but you'll be surprised. Um, they live in sewers and drainage th- areas and things like that. Um, and at this time of the year, they're running out of their normal food and they get into the gardens. And you'll find that when things are happening and being munched at the base, it's usually uh, rats. If it's uh, ha- happening at the top of the plant, it's more likely to be possums or maybe birds. But in your situation, I've seen sweet corn being devastated by uh, rats and uh, you need to uh, have a campaign of uh, hygiene, making sure that you don't have rats in your garden. And then uh, if you want to do something, probably exclusion, some form of, of rat-proof netting around there and maybe talking to your neighbours and having a campaign on reducing rats. Uh, but be careful with baits if you've got cats and dogs. really is remarkable what's going on in your garden that you actually never get to see. You only see the impact of it. Oh, that's right. And if you could get out at night time or at strategic times, and you'll find that the people that love getting out in their garden and looking in their garden, they talk to their plants, they observe, and they, they can actually pick up a, a, a problem, a symptom, well before somebody else. And by the time somebody gets up and rings up and they describe the disaster, it's usually too late. And I often think just a, a little walk around your garden every morning is, is very refreshing and also can be very educational. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Troy Sincock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Mark Caldicott is a manager of one of our major garden centres uh, in the inner cities. And uh, Mark is one of these fellows I often talk to simply because he talks to his customers and he's aware of the problems that they are being confronted with. And uh, he gathers those. And, and when we chat, I learn a lot from Mark. So uh, uh, let's talk to Mark about not uh, plants, but gifts, garden goodies that maybe you'd like to receive or give on Christmas time. So, good morning to you, Mark Caldicott. Yeah, good morning, John, and good morning, Troy. So, let's take a look. I suppose uh, garden uh, tools are very, very popular. Is there anything that's sort of new or different that maybe would make an ideal present? Yeah, there's quite a bit, John. There's, there's one that's actually not new. It's quite an old, very ancient tool, and I think it's a Korean tool. It's called a homi. Um Little curved, short-handled um, hoe. Perfect for people just scratching around in gardens and even in pots. Good for digging in amongst seedlings. And they're, they're a really unusual sort of tool, but very, very popular and very easy to use. One of my favourite ones to use down the garden. Righto, and that's uh, one of those type of tools that uh, both men and women can use it and uh, feel pretty comfortable with. Yeah, extremely lightweight and very easy to use. Okay. Um, indoor plants are popular, um, and uh, keeping the house plants alive is some of a bit of a challenge. Uh, anything there in terms of hardware or, or uh, th- uh, things that will support the house plants? Yeah, it, it, you're right. Over the last few years, people have got mad on house plants, and it's a company that's made some really interesting little gift packs. 
which have got um, a Protect spray, which has got a bit of neem and a, a bit of uh, lemon myrtle in it, which smells lovely when you spray it on the plants. Uh, it's got a liquid grow in there and a pellet fertiliser for indoor plants, so non-smelling. Uh, it's all organic, but all good for indoor plants without having the smell of the manures inside. So you can get those. They do an orchid pack as well, which is a similar sort of thing for people with a phalaenopsis orchids. And a leaf health duo, which is the Protect Spray, which is the neem and the um, lemon myrtle with a like a microfiber glove for polishing the leaves of your plants. Oh, that sounds interesting. And it's, it's fascinating to see how the companies are uh, responding to the fact that houseplants are extremely popular, they're going to stay popular, and now they're producing products which are actually uh, 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 tailor-made for that particular uh, type of a plant. Let's move on. Secateurs, always popular. How much would you have to pay for a good pair of secateurs? Yeah, if, if you want good ones, I'd go anywhere between about $30 and $180. Um, now, if it's a really good thing with secateurs. We will say to people, what do you like as a gardener? Are you somebody who throws your secateurs in the bin on a regular basis? Because if you are, I wouldn't worry about spending the big dollars on them. <laughs> Uh, if you look after them, definitely the, the more you pay, the better the secateur is a general thing. But if you start around the $30 mark, you should get something that lasts you many, many years. And look after them. Like, clean them up after you've used them. Wipe them down with a bit of metho. Keep them in the shed. Don't leave them out in the rain. And they'll last you for years. Many people like growing plants. You've got a, a DIY uh, plant maybe for the propagators. Yeah, like the little propagation kits that come with the like mini greenhouse, about the size of a seedling tray. It's got some little uh, peat uh, pots in there that you can grow your seeds. So it's great for kids too, learning how to grow plants and watching them grow from seed through to fruit. I'm trying to encourage listeners to buy a soil thermometer. Would they make a good Christmas present? Yeah, soil thermometers are quite good. Um, they're great for, as you always talk about at the beginning of the season, uh, soil temperatures for planting your tomatoes. And they range from just your, your basic poke in the soil, give you the, the, like the little red alcohol line down the middle of it, or you can get the digital thermometers, which cost you a bit more money, but they'll give you a digital reading as the temperature. Yeah, and, and they are quite useful. Yeah, and relatively mm. cheap too. Um, could I yeah. suggest that you don't buy just one, you buy two. And, and the thing is, they use them in your pot plants. People have got pot plants, and uh, if you put a soil thermometer in your pot plant, if it's in, in a sunny position on a hot day, you might be surprised at the temperatures. And anything over 40 degrees is lethal to the root system. So, And if you buy two, you have one on one side of the plant and one on the other side just to see the difference, or one in the sun and one in the shade, you can have a lot of fun with soil thermometers. Anyway, one more, Mark, and I'll stop and... Uh, Give you a go. Yeah. Oh, the water ones, um, they're always great for watering gardens. It's great therapy to get outside on the end of the hose and use your watering wand to water the garden and pots and hanging baskets and things. And, of course, there's a great one that's got a, like a lever handle. So if people have got arthritis and elderly people, they'll find them a lot easier to use. You don't have to fiddle around with little thumb catches and that. You can use the palm of your hand to push the lever forward and uh, water your plant. Aha, now that's very sensible. So uh, yeah. don't just buy a wand. Make sure you look at how it's turned on and off. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark, some yeah. lovely suggestions there. And I look forward to continuing our chats from time to time. And uh, I appreciate the information you pass on to me on behalf oh. of the listeners. 
Yeah, thank you, John. And I just thought of one more thing that you were just talking about uh, before we came on air was a magnifying glass is one of the best things a gardener can have in their pocket when they're out in the garden because you can go and look at what the bugs are on your plants and work out whether they're good ones, bad ones. That's what we use in the garden centre when people bring plants in. And, yeah, get a magnifying glass. Probably your best friend in the garden. And you've got them in... Oh, garden centres have got them now? Uh, No, you probably find them more a news agent or somewhere like that will have those things, I think. But uh, you can get the little jeweller couplets too. They're quite good too. Get them right up close to the eye and have a good look at all the bugs. It's quite fascinating when you look through them and see what's crawling around on your plants. Another good idea from Mark Caldicott from one of our major garden centres. Thanks for having you. Um, Thanks for being on the program, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Troy. Have a great Christmas. Yes, you too. And, uh, gee, some really handy hips there, uh, tips there, some things I wouldn't have thought about either. You can really sort of get together a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a kit. And sometimes these might not be things that you use all the time, but, you know, just when you need it, there it is within reach. Yes, and it's the thought that counts, Troy. Absolutely. So true, because if someone gave me a magnifying glass, I would be sort of scratching my head a little bit. But if they described that it was, you know, to take a look at the bugs on my plant, well, then that would make sense. Oh, yes. In fact, I think that's very... Next to soil thermometers, uh, a magnifying glass to actually see, and you'll find out uh, there's something eating the leaf, and you think, oh, I can't see any caterpillars. You put the magnifying glass there, and there's this tiny little grub. Yeah. You know, it, and, and you, you realise, oh, goodness, you know, they come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> yeah, really, really great tips. We'll be uh, catching up with Trevor Nottle, a garden historian, about gifts for garden collectors a little bit later on this hour. Plenty of time for your calls too, but be quick about it. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number or SMS zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Troy Sincock with John Lamb and John is our next caller from Upper Sturt. Hello, John. Hello there. Yes. My my problem is that I've got uh, brown spots on young berries. Oh, okay. Uh, thornless right. young berries. Yeah, oh, right. Uh, and uh, I've got some raspberries as well growing, but they don't be affect. They don't seem to be affected. Uh, so uh, I was I was looking it up. I don't know. But it's some sort of a fungal disease, but uh, it's happened over a few years now, and it just got worse. And it's also on the stem. Right. Are you, th- th- those spots, are they little spots, like sort of little target spots, or are they fairly enlarged and irregular? Uh, little target spots, brown, and some of them have got white in the middle of it. Yes, right. Yeah. Okay, I'd put it on bacterial rather than fungal. Uh, there's a lot yeah, right. of le- leaf spots out there trying to uh, work that out. You need to be a, a pathologist to actually <laughs> plate them out sometimes yeah, to yeah. identify which one. But the thing is, they all respond uh, to... Uh, uh, the right kind of fungicide. Before we talk about that, uh, uh, can I presume that they're growing in a fair amount of shade or a protected position? Relatively protected uh, um, in the afternoon, but they face n- north. Uh, but in the afternoon, they're, they're well protected, yes. Yeah, okay. And uh, in, the, in the very early morning, got trees around, yeah. Yeah, it's catch-22. You need protection, but if you have too much protection, uh, you don't get enough air movement across and through the plants, and so the humidity builds up and you get the ideal conditions for leaf spots, particularly bacterial. Spraying, I think, is your best bet. Um, I'd start off with something uh, pretty soft, an organic uh, eco-fungicide. Eco-fungicide is very, very effective, and... uh, 
uh, it's also eco rose it's the same uh, material but it's organic it's registered for organic use and uh, also if you're going to eat the, the berries if it's producing those you want something that's not going to uh, be of a problem to you so I would be using that uh, after you've harvested spraying the trees with uh, uh, a manco zeb type spray or a copper spray either of those um, just reduces the carryover and again in autumn I would be putting on an, another fungicide just to uh, stop the carryover from next year obviously I think it's the location that could be the problem and uh, producing reducing the carryover if you don't reduce the carryover you get a large quantity of spores and uh, by the next season starts and there's all the spores just ready to go and you're in trouble before you start. ABC Talkback Guarding, John Lamb taking your calls. Let's head to Port Pirie where it looks like a great day, 32 degrees, mostly sunny for you today, Belinda. Uh, how's the morning looking so far? Yes, it's lovely. A lovely sunny day. It should be a beautiful day. Excellent. Now, what's happening in your garden? I've got um, um, a lovely uh, bunch of um, capsicum plants and I bought them because I wanted yellow ones and they were tagged as yellow. They've come on beautifully, but they're green. I just want to know, will they eventually turn yellow? Yeah, be, I'm patient. Just be patient there, Belinda. Oh, OK. You'll find that uh, <laughs> most of the capsicums you buy uh, as seedlings, they produce green, and then as they mature, they either go red or, in your situation, yellow. But uh, you should find that they should be uh, yellowing pretty quickly. If they don't do it very soon, then uh, somebody's got their labels mixed up uh, in the garden centre. And the same principle will apply for red ones too? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yes, you'll get just green, green, green until right towards the end. And then when they are mature, uh, they turn that lovely red colour. So uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, and if you're making a salad, having some green, some red, is, uh, and some yellow, uh, that makes a really good salad. Very festive too for the for Christmas lunch. Um, off to Mount Gambier. Hello, Tom. How can John help you? I have a holly tree that I planted years ago, and the fruit's about two metres tall now. But we've moved house. Can I take cuttings? When do I take the cuttings? What's the best way to cut it? All right, yes. Okay, you can certainly take cuttings. They are not the fastest to strike, but uh, now would be a pretty good time. Take a look at uh, a branch that's grown probably in the last, uh, or since, uh, since winter. And so you've got new growth coming out, and then you've got little side branches coming from that new growth. And it's that new growth that's probably about uh, four or five centimetres long. If you grab hold of that and pull it away from the, br- the main uh, branch, but, but you're taking a little heel with it. In other words, you're taking some of the, uh, the branch as well as uh, uh, the, the little side branch that you're getting. And if you can just get those and remove the lower leaves, so leave a few leaves at the top of your cutting and then put it into a mix and... Rather than, I mean, you can buy propagating mixes. I find that uh, sometimes they go a bit soggy. What you want is uh, buy a little packet of perlite. Perlite, you can buy, you know, a little sort of uh, a few hundred grams of, of perlite, and it's just brilliant. So you mix up maybe a one third perlite and two thirds propagating mix, get it moist, put your cuttings in that. Uh, the important thing then is put it into a, uh, a, a plastic bag with some holes in it to allow fresh air to get in, but you need to maintain the humidity around that particular plant. And if you can do that, it will take probably. Uh, 
12 weeks at least for the plant to strike. Uh, if you can be bothered but getting a little bit of uh, uh, strike, striking hormone or else if you've got some honey in the fridge, <laughs> dip them in honey. That's probably as good as uh, one of the propagating hormones. Tom, thank you very much for your call. Off to Narracourt. Karen, how's your passion fruit vine looking? Oh, well, it's a bit funny, actually, because I um, planted two of them uh, a couple of years ago to try and sort of keep our water tanks cool. And um, there was a really good part on it for a while, and then that died off and suckers came up. And um, I'd been meaning to get around to remove them, um, but then all of a sudden they've flowered and now they've got fruit on them. Aha, but, but the question is, are they passion fruit, a normal round uh, passion fruit? Are they long, like a banana type of passion fruit? At the moment, they're round and green. Oh, well, there we are. That's good. And I've split one open and there were seeds in the middle of it. Okay, well, all's good. Um, what, what's the question? Um, well, I know that they're suckers because they haven't got that glossy green leaf that, like they were a Ned Kelly that I planted and normally they have that big glossy green leaf and this has definitely got the five-finger sort of duller leaf. All right. It would, do you recall Everything. when you bought it, was it a grafted passion fruit or a seedling? Yeah, so, grafted. No, it was a grafted. Okay, so what you've got is uh, the rootstock coming through. Not often they graft passion fruit the proper variety that you like to grow in the garden, they put that onto uh, a banana passion fruit rootstock, which has got extreme vigour, and so you get a nice vigorous plant. But there are other rootstocks, and I would suggest that the rootstock they've chosen chosen is just uh, another passion fruit, and it's been selected because of its vigour, its ability to be able to produce a vigorous root system, which is transferred into the uh, canopy of your passion fruit, and an ability to be able to produce uh, uh, fruit. So I'd say just go with it. And uh, so long as you've got passion fruit and they're edible, um, why mess around with it? Thanks for your call, Karen. Hello, Gary. Um, What's your question? Good morning. Uh, Yeah, my um, hippie astrums have finished flowering and they're about to blow the pot apart. When's the best time to repot them? Oh, I could suggest that you could, this season you could do that now. Once the plants have uh, died down, make sure that the stem that had the flowers on it also dies down. Don't cut it off, just let it die back naturally. And uh, because of, uh, if you're going to do it, do it now and then uh, repot it and put it in the shade where it gets bright light but not direct sun. And if you don't do it probably this weekend, I'd leave it until autumn, uh, until the hot weather in January that's uh, likely to happen in January. Uh, I'd be waiting probably till at least the end of February, maybe March, before you repot or do anything with it. Gary from Finnis, thanks for your call. Now, we have two Guarding Australia magazines to give away right now, but you can't have won anything on the ABC for the last three months. So if you would like one of those, perhaps an early Christmas present for you, give us a call straight away. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the telephone number on ABC Talkback Gardening. John... Lamb, our gardening expert, here to take your calls. And next, we'll be talking uh, gifts for garden collectors with Trevor Nottle. Talk back gardening with John Lamb and Troy Sincock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill. Trevor Nottle is very 
recognised, his voice is recognised on Talkback Gardening because you often hear him as the presenter of Talkback Gardening and if not that, he's then also talking as a recognised authority on a particular plant or types of plants. Uh, Trevor is a garden writer, he's a garden historian, Uh, he's recognised by the industry as uh, an industry icon and uh, he's also a passionate collector of plants, particularly Mediterranean-type plants, and uh, he's very mindful of uh, a changing climate. So, Trevor, good morning to you, and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Hi, John. How are you today? I'm going extremely well and having a lot of fun just chatting away to Troy. (laughs) He's very easy to work with. But uh, in your situation, uh, you like collecting different kind of plants and there are people that I think that are keen gardeners and they say, look, I like uh, this particular kind of plant and they realise that there's lots of different types of the same plant and they become collectors. So what would you suggest that might be suitable for somebody that wants to be a collector of plants? Oh, golly. <laughs> uh, how many thousands would you know? I've only got ten minutes, Trevor. No, ten minutes, yeah. ten minutes. <laughs> okay. Look, I've been doing a, a fair bit of work the last couple of years helping out getting the gardens rejuvenated at Carrick Hill. And because the gardens were made in the 50s, um, or the 40s as well, uh, I've had to really search hard for some of the plants that would have been grown and have taken sometimes two or three years to track down. But one of the nice plants that's really tough and hardy is a thing called uh, Bistropogon canariensis. Oh, 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 oh. Say that again uh, slowly. <laughs> Bistropogon canariensis. It's the Canary Island smoke bush. Oh, okay. Right, right, so you right. Know, yes, you yeah. know the biggest smoke bush? Yes. Reddish flower panicles? Yes, well, yes. Well, this is, um, it's grey, silvery grey, and it's really pretty. Uh, and it was very popular in the 40s and 50s when ladies arranged flowers for their houses. All right, so that's a Canary so, Island smoke bush. That's, uh, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and at the same time, um, I've just, just relocated another really interesting plant from the same era. Um, it's a hibiscus schizopetalus, which means it's got crazy petals. Um, and it's a, it's a hibiscus, but it's... The flowers are quite small and they hang down on long pedicels, so they look more like earrings. I reckon, yeah, and anybody would like to see a strange plant, but something that's quite spectacular, uh, hibiscus schizopetalus. Now, schizo would be S-H-I-Z-O and petalus P-E-T-A-L-U-S. Yep. Oh, there we are. Gee, your Latin's getting great, John. (laughs) I did Latin many years, not that I I did very well. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's. I think that'll be a, a. Once people can see it and get get hold of it, I think it will become quite popular. It's it's very easy to grow in our climate. It's not fussy like some of those big Hawaiian hibiscuses are. Um, this one comes from China, and it's. I just think it's a really lovely shrub. The other one that I thought people might be interested is not a shrub at all, but well, more or less a perennial, um, 
quite a small thing, a herb that's called uh, Oreganum syriacum. It's oregano that comes from Syria in the what the Near East, and uh, well, no, no, it's not here. It's in the far west. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a plant that's used in cooking in Lebanon and Syria and lots of countries around there, and it's what we would perhaps recognise as zatar, the flavoury herb that is often found in Dhaka. Okay, but that's... Uh, or, uh, sorry to have to hurry along. So it's yeah, oregano suriacum. Yeah, that, and I reckon that's a good trio for yeah. people starting no, out to th- look for. Three lovely plants. Um, and maybe for those that perhaps are not into plants and gardening but like reading books, gardening books, yeah. there's a, a collector's item there. Yeah, there's a, a great new book out uh, published in Tasmania um, called Ramblings of... A rare plant collector and it's notes and photographs made by a chap called Marcus Harvey uh, who spent 20 years or more uh, rambling around Greece and Turkey collecting seeds of all sorts of plants but mainly bulbs and uh, he's unfortunately died a while ago but his uh, son and partner have produced a beautiful book and uh, it's really a good read he was a very good reader and he wrote lots of notes and letters while he was away and captured the essence of the villages that he was walking through and the people that he met while out wandering on the hillsides. No, Trevor, so it's, it's no, no, knowing great. you, I mean, uh, I, I believe that uh, he's no longer a, a run. Or he, I think he's died, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but you've actually got a, a few collector items from the, his particular garden. Just very, oh, very yeah. quickly. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I got. Well, he used to. Part of his business was selling seeds and bulbs, um, and I got lots of crocuses from him and snowdrops and tulips and other wild bulbs from Turkey and Greece. And um, they're just slowly multiplying away here. And uh, eventually, I well, I won't be selling them, but I guess other collectors and gardeners will get hold of them in the end and they'll slowly spread around. And they should be matched very well with our climate. Yes, and we don't have time for you to talk about the climate, but I know you're very passionate about that one and the uh, blending of Mediterranean plants with uh, our changing climate. So a good excuse to talk to you in the new year too, Trevor. So thank you very much for your contribution, not just this morning, but during the year. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. See you later. Bye, Trevor. It's ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Time for a few more calls. And Lynn is in Hackham. How can we help you with your tomatoes, Lynn? Uh, yes, John, I have a, a very strange couple of tomato plants that are now, they're in planter boxes that uh, actually were um, self-seeded uh, after uh, some snow peas that, were really quite prolific, terrific little snow peas. But uh, these came up and I decided to leave them because the snow peas have now had it, died off completely. And these tomato um, tomatoes have produced lovely hands of uh, tomatoes. Um, I think they're an Apollo. They're perfect round little 
tomato, but they've stayed green all this time, at least for two weeks, exactly the same size, and they're as hard as cannonballs. <laughs> and I've ne- we've never come across it before. We've grown tomatoes for a long time, and we've picked, uh, re- you know, coming on red tomatoes up at our community garden that we run uh, nearby, and uh, they're they're doing well. But these. Well, they stay green and hard. And I think probably they may stay that way, uh, Lynn. Uh, what is happening there is because you mentioned it, it's self-seeded. The parents would have been different. They would have had two different parents, a nice yummy tomato and one that's probably got excellent disease resistance or e- extra uh, f- uh, features or benefits. And those two have been put together to make a beautiful tomato. But when you plant the seeds, they separate back to their original parents and you get exactly what you've just described. I don't think it's going to be a tomato that's going to be butte in a salad, and certainly I wouldn't be collecting the seeds from it. And it just means that when you buy a hybrid tomato, uh, there's no point in saving the seeds simply because uh, you don't know who the parents were. We've got time for a quick call from uh, Helen from the southeast. Uh, how can we help you, Helen? Oh, good morning. My hydrangeas are really looking sad they look like it, they think it's autumn the, some of the leaves are green and they've got spots on them and the others are pink almost um, and I'm really not sure that they've had too much sun too much water, not enough of whatever I think I'm we could blame our showery weather uh, it can, uh, it, uh, particularly in your area in the southeast, you've had uh, probably not as much rain as some of us but uh, uh, enough cool showery weather to cause problems for hydrangeas and they are uh, subject to uh, a large number of fungal and bacterial problems Uh, trying to identify the right one is not possible but uh, if it's powdery if they go powdery it is powdery mildew if it's just spots on changing colours I suspect it's more likely to be bacterial the most important thing to do is look after the plant get some air circulating it keeping it out of the sun and giving it perhaps uh, uh, a good uh, fertiliser that's got all the trace elements mixed up with it or two, a good organic product, just water it into the root system and uh, hope that it comes good by autumn. Thanks for being part of the show, Helen. It's uh, ABC Talkback Gardening, John Lamb here. And what an incredible show it's been in terms of Christmas gifts. So if people were at a loose end prior to this program, John, they've got absolutely no excuse over the next week. Yes, I think it's a lovely time of the year for gardeners. Go out there, enjoy what's in the garden centres. You'll be surprised at the wow plants and products that are out there available for gift-giving. And I think we'll continue the theme next week because it'll be just before Christmas, too late for presents. Maybe we take a look at how to look after the plants that you were given. Until next week, good gardening.